This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Now we're in the book of Ephesians, teaching and preaching through the book of Ephesians. I'm so glad you are with us. Um, we are picking up in verse 19 this morning. So if you would, if you've, got your, if you've got your Bible, if you found your place, just lift it up. Maybe you're tracking on your phone, just lift it up. Now why do I have you do this? Well, partly it's because I just want to establish in your mind that what you read in the sacred scriptures is going to be far more important than anything that you hear me say. And so I don't want you to just sit there and just listen to me and consider what I say. But I want you to open up the sacred scriptures and I want you to get your eyes in the text because this is the word of God. And the God who made you and the God who loves you, he's got a word for you and he wants to speak to you through the sacred scriptures this morning. So um, track with us. Let's just dive right in. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 19 and just read a few verses together. And here we go. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray now speak to us, your children, through your word. Speak to us personally and powerfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm titling the sermon this morning, By the Power of Blank, I Have the Power And the reason I'm titling the sermon that way will become clear to you as we get into the sermon. Um, But we, we, we pick Paul up in the middle of him telling the Ephesians what he's been praying for them. And he says, I pray that you might know. And then he goes through this list of things that he's praying for them. And that's what we unpacked last week. And so if you're just jumping in with us and this is your first week with us, you can go back and listen on the podcast You can pull up the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can start at at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and hear all the sermons that we went through to get to this verse today. So I encourage you to do that. Um, We also record a midweek podcast, and I think we have like a little niche cult following, and you don't have to be a part of that, but you can be, all right? And um, those episodes drop um, once a week. But, but there's one word here that I want you to see this morning that I want you to get your heart wrapped around, and that word is simply power. It's power. And this is what the Apostle Paul is praying that the Ephesians would know. Not just know intellectually, but know experientially. Paul's praying that they might know not just power, but it's like, it's like as he's writing, he's thinking of the power And he describes the power, and he describes it as the immeasurable greatness of his power. And then he describes it as toward us who believe. Now, what does that mean? This is what it means. Paul's writing to Christians, and he describes Christians in this phrase as 
toward those who, toward us who believe. Now, you may not yet be a Christian yet this morning. I'm so glad you're here. You are at the right place. And I just want you to know this is a safe place to bring all your questions. We really believe that the greatest questions have the greatest answers. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you're at the right place. But this, this text was written to Christians. And so what he's saying is, is that this power, he's wanting them to know this power, and it's available for those who have believed. Believed what? Believed that they were sinners and they needed a Savior and that Jesus was their Savior. That Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he'll forgive them of all their sins. That's what it means to, to believe. In other words, in, in the book of James, James actually says that the demons believe and tremble. So, so what he's not talking about is just this, oh yeah, I know God is there kind of a belief. That's, the demons know God is there, but they've not put their personal faith in the Lord Jesus. They've not turned to him and followed him as Lord. That's what Paul is referring to when he says here um, that we might know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those, toward those of us who believe. So here's the good news. Today could be your day to believe. Maybe you've been reading. Maybe you've been praying. Maybe you've been saying things like, God, if you're there, would you show me? Maybe you're in church today because you feel like you've just kind of come to the end of your rope and you've tried everything else but God. And maybe today the spiritual light bulb will go off for you. And today you'll actually, from your heart, begin to believe in the Lord Jesus. You know, we pray every week that that would happen for people in this room every Sunday. And the greatest joy of real life is that that happens, it seems like, every other week. People are turning to Jesus and trusting in him as, as their Lord and Savior. And so here's the good news. Immeasurably great power is available to those that believe in Jesus. And Paul's praying that the Christians might know it, that they might experience it. In other words, just because it's available doesn't mean that we're all experiencing it. And so I think all of us, we could kind of go around the room this morning and we could talk about um, the different areas that we need to experience God's power. And I just came up with three areas that, that readily came to my mind. And we need power to squash sin. We need power to squash sin. In, in other words, when we try to overcome sin in our own power, it squashes us. Do you know what I mean? Some of you are like, I've been squashed all week long because no prayer, no Bible reading, like no reaching out to a friend to pray for me. I've just been trying to flex on my own and sin's been kicking my tail all week long. Yeah, that's what happens when we try to overcome sin in the flesh, in our natural man, in our natural power. But when we trusted in Jesus... He filled us with his Holy Spirit. That is his power. And so we need God's power to squash sin. Some of us this morning, addiction has a foothold in our life. Some of us this morning, we have anger issues. Some of us this morning, we're very prideful. Nobody can correct us ever. We get very defensive. And we've been that way for a really long time. And we would like to say it's just our personality, but the Bible says it's a disposition of the sin of pride. We have anxiety. And some of us just think, oh, it's just the way. My, my grandmother was anxious. I just got it from her. And Jesus said, don't be anxious. And we've grown so comfortable with sins that the Bible clearly says our sins. And not only is it an offense to God, but it doesn't lead our lives to flourish. And that's our vision as a church. So we might become a flourishing people. 
And, and so when we talk about sin here at Real Life, it's not to, it's not to beat you up and to make you feel bad. It's, it's to help you to avoid a path of destruction because, because sin always leads to chaos. And you can't cling to sin and walk in sin and be comfortable with sin and flourish. God has not made us to flourish while walking in sin. The good news is that we have the power to squash sin in our life through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. It doesn't come automatically. That's why Paul was praying that the Christians might know the power of God. First, just to squash sin. A very dear person to me struggles with fear. And you can't overcome fear out of your own resources. It's got to be the power of God to help you to overcome fear. Well, I, I, I think that some of us this morning, we just need power for sustained strength. As I think about our church, I think about I mean, there's widows in our church that just in the last year, in the last two years, they've lost their spouse. And it's like, what kind of hole lives in your soul? What kind of vacuum do you live life with after you've lived with years and years and years with a spouse, and then they're no longer there? You know, some days you just need a strength outside of yourself just to get out of bed, you know? I think about, I think about military wives whose husbands deploy, and, and they're holding the fort down, and they're, they're getting everything in order, and they used to have a partner, but now the partner is defending our freedoms, and now they're alone, and they're just trying to carry it all. They, they need a strength that they can't muster up themselves. So Paul is praying that the Christians might know the immeasurable greatness of God's power, and that power is available to us just for sustained strength. Some of you, you're in a job, but it's not one job, it's like three jobs. And it's like over the last 10 years, your boss, they just like gave you another job, but they're paying you the same. And then a few years ago, they gave you another job, and they didn't change your title, but you're like working the job of three people, and if you resign today, they would have to hire three people to replace you. Can I get an amen from somebody? And some of you just feel like, how can, how, can I, how can I go on? How can I keep going on? Well, Paul prays that the Christians might be filled with the immeasurable greatness. They might know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. That's what I'm praying for you, church. If you find yourself just needing sustaining strength, it's available. And it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, not only do we need power to squash sin and, and sustain strength, but we need power that is supreme over Satan. I was talking with a, a real lifer yesterday, and he's in a brand new assignment in, in life. And what he shared with me yesterday is for the first time ever, he's waking up in the middle of the night with an attack of fear in his heart. That's the devil. Waking him up. Peaceful sleep, peaceful sleep, peaceful sleep. Now he's in a brand new assignment. And in this brand new assignment, this work assignment, he's seeing God use him in ways that he's never seen God use him before, in special ways, in unique ways. And the devil doesn't like it, and the devil's coming after him. And so Paul's praying that the Christians might know, know experientially what the power is that we have that's supreme over Satan. Others of us, we see spiritual strongholds. You, when you look through the story of Job, what you see is that Job 
asked God, or rather Satan asked God for permission to inflict Job. And Job was going through suffering inflicted by the devil that God permitted. It was, it was a satanic attack. And, and what Paul is praying here is that Christians would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power that is supreme over Satan. Can you just imagine if Job wasn't confident that God was greater than Satan when Satan was inflicting Job? Can you, can you just imagine how Job may have responded? But what did, what did Job do? He never cursed God. Job suffered more than any man. He never cursed God. Why? Because he somehow knew that there was a power that was supreme over Satan, and that power was the power of God. I, I, I grew up um, <laughs> every now and then, you know, child of the 80s, watching late-night TV. Anybody remember Dionne Warwick? You can call this number, and she'll tell you your whole future. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I know you called her, didn't you? What'd she tell you? Huh? I never, I never called her. The wrath of my parents would have come down if they had a seeing that psychic network phone number on the phone bill, you know. Some of you grew up and at the sleepovers you'd whip out the Ouija board. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You whip out the Ouija board and you move that thing around and you're like, are we moving it or is somebody else moving it? I don't know who's moving it. Did you move it? I didn't move it. How did it end up? That, that She's going to be my wife. Look, that just went to her initials, right? And, and, and we laugh, but those things are actually designed to tap into a spiritual power, a spiritual realm. You just think about television today and you think about all the television shows that have spiritual themes. And when I say spiritual themes, I even mean like, like satanic type themes. Uh, the show Good, Good Omens has an angel and a demon and they must join forces to find a way to save the world as the end of time grows near. Manifest, you experience, they experience guiding voices and visions representing events yet to occur, and they're referred to as calling. So manifest are these folks that were in this airplane, and five years later, it's like they're back from the dead. Where did they get that idea? Back from the dead. There's a show called Lucifer, and in Lucifer, the character who's playing Lucifer is, is bored and unhappy as the Lord of hell. Lucifer Morningstar is his name. And he's abandoned his throne and retired in L.A. Where he owns Lux, an upscale nightclub. And he's charming and charismatic and handsome. It, it's interesting the way the culture wants us to be comfortable with demonic themes, to be entertained by it, and yet sometimes be lured in and to actually like it. This, this character is charming, charismatic, and handsome. And his name's Lucifer. The, the Witcher is a show that has sorcery on full display. The Winx Saga, Shadow, and Disenchantment in the Wheel of Time are all current TV shows that celebrate magic. In, in the, way, the way witches and demons and magic and spiritual themes 
are on continuous, are, are continuously put in front of us should not surprise us. The Bible is full of examples of angels and demons and demon possession and exorcisms. And indeed, the very specific instruction that we have from Ephesians 6 is this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So when we see the culture pushing demonic themes on us as entertainment, we can't remain neutral. We have to be discerning. It should not frighten us. Can I just say that again? There is no manifestation of the demonic realm that should ever frighten a Christian. This is the power that Paul is praying that Christians would know and experience. But we should be informed and think about these things from a, from a biblical perspective. Demonic activity is real, but it's often disguised. Demonic activity is not neutral, but the devil, listen to me, the devil would like for us to think about demonic activity in any other way than is reality. What do I mean by that? Well, the devil would like for us to hear all this stuff about demonic powers and just dismiss it as hardly real. It's not involved in my life. It's not going to affect me. And we just dismiss it. Oh, the devil would love you to dismiss him today. He would love for you to dismiss his influence in your life. But the devil also doesn't want us to think about Rather, the the devil would like for us to think about his power as supreme. And as a result, be afraid. So, so, So for Christians, as we hear Paul praying for these Christians in Ephesus, and he's praying that they might know the immeasurable greatness of his power, and we understand the context in which we live in, a spiritual reality, in a war, a battle, a spiritual battle. How should we think about those things? Well, we shouldn't dismiss them as though they're no big deal, and we shouldn't be afraid of them as though they have some sort of supreme power over us. This Halloween, nobody should be afraid. But we also shouldn't dismiss this whole holiday and pretend like the devil isn't trying to make us afraid. And not just afraid, but but to celebrate this demonic expression and manifestation. Now listen clearly. I I as your pastor, I'm I'm not I'm not saying don't dress up. (laughs) I'm not I'm not even saying don't go to the haunted house. I am saying don't stick your head in the sand. Be discerning. Be discerning. Listen to Paul praying that we might know the immeasurable greatness of his power and listen to the instruction that we're in a spiritual battle. Don't stick your head in the sand thinking that the demonic realm is not real. But here's Paul's whole point. He was praying that they might know the immeasurable greatness of his power. (laughs) He was praying. So if you're struggling to squash sin, or if you're struggling just to have strength to get out of bed, or if you're struggling with satanic attack, 
Pray. Gather people around you and ask them to pray for you that you might know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Go to the prayer station and say, I'm struggling with sin or I'm struggling to get out of bed or I think the devil's attacking and pray. That's what Paul was doing. He was praying that the Christians might know the immeasurable power of the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And if we're not motivated to pray, we need God to wake us up. If we're not motivated, listen, if we're not motivated to pray about these things, our head is already in the sand. Church, do you see it? I want to draw attention to the fact that there's pure power and there's an artificial or counterfeit or temporary power. And there's a lot of things in life that promote themselves to us and people pay big money to promote themselves to us um, to say, Here's, this is power for your daily living. Whatever it may be, here's something that's going to be powerful for you to help you to have freedom, to help you to sleep at night, to help you combat your anxiety. There's, there's all these things that promise power, but they're counterfeit, artificial, and temporary powers. And there is no limit to God's power. And we're going to see that in just a minute as Paul begins to unpack this. I want you to, um, when, I, when I was a kid, um, I, <laughs> One of our tech guys uh, this morning told me, he said, uh, he was a child of the 80s as well, and uh, he appreciates this illustration that's coming up, but he said, this is like the third time you've you, you used this theme, and I said, you're, you know, you're welcome, right? It's like, when I was a kid, I was a big He-Man fan. Any guys with me this morning? He-Man, thank you, I see you. Anybody else? Okay, back row, I see you. He-Man, here's a picture of He-Man. He-Man had this deal where it's really interesting, it's, it's really interesting. He-Man, before he like turned into Muscle Man here, his name was Adam. And he was Prince of Eternia. And, and, and Adam, whenever like, whenever like pressure would mount, this is what Adam would do. He would hold up his sword and he would say, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power. And then he turned into He-Man. And then he pointed his sword at his little scaredy cat, and his scaredy cat became Battle Cat. <laughs> For everybody that grew up in the 80s, you're welcome. You're welcome. You, do you hear what's going on here? Listen, cartoon creators know the longing of humanity. And they, and they write stories that would be the fulfillment of our longing. Do you see this? They understand the longing of humanity and they bring their brilliance to the writing process and they try to create characters and experiences that when kids see them and when the people see them, they're drawn to it and they want it. And this is what we need, is we need power. We need transforming power in our life. Adam, by the power of grace skull, he said, I have the power. And any and everything other than the Lord's power that's available to us is an artificial and counterfeit power. Now, some of, you, some of you may be like really into fitness and you may say, well, you know, sleep is actually like really going to help you. In Psalm 127, 
says that God gives to his beloved sleep. And some of you would say, you know, um, regular physical activity is really going to empower you. And you know, the Bible says that physical activity is good for you. The power that we desperately need is not in fill in the blank. Whatever you're filling in the blank is. Wherever you're seeking to find the power you need is. The power that we need is found in the Holy Spirit of God. And the Apostle Paul describes it as the immeasurably great power. He wanted us to understand that if we have that power, we don't need any other exterior, artificial, counterfeit, temporary power. Church, isn't this good news? Isn't this good news of what's available to us? He writes in verse 19 that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. But then he says, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. So listen to those phrases. I'm praying that they might know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What am I saying as I'm bringing our attention to these verses? This power is not a wand. It's work. This power, this power is not a magic wand. It's work. It, it got its source in God's work through Jesus' work on the cross, through his life in the cross and his resurrection. And if we're going to experience it, it's got to flesh itself out in our work. So you could hear this promise of power and think that it's a wand. But if we're going to tap into his power, we tap into his power through first his presence. His presence. Some of you, you're, you're, you're struggling with sin. You're struggling to get out of bed. The devil's attacking you. But you're not spending time in the presence of God. And that's the first place that you're empowered by God to live the Christian life. That's the first place that you tap into God's power. And we enjoy his presence through faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one that removed the sin barrier between us and God. He's the one, when Jesus, listen, when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. The, the curtain in the temple was torn signifying that now we all go into the holy of holies, the most holy place that only the priests would go into. We now can go into the presence. The, the author of the book of Hebrews says, we draw near now with confidence into the presence of God. And you know, the presence of God is with us all the time, but we just don't dial into that reality. We don't acknowledge the presence of God. We don't enjoy the presence of God. And if you're going to experience the power that God wants you to experience in your daily life, you've got to enjoy the presence of God. You've got to acknowledge the presence of God. You've got to slow down and sit in the presence of God. We do that through prayer and through his word. But it's also we tap into his power through our practice. Our practice. I was walking through the lobby last Sunday, and I just passed somebody, and he said something, this phrase about working it out. Working it out. That's a biblical phrase. The biblical authors say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's the, it's, it's not a wand, it's work. It's work trusting the promises of God, depending upon the presence of God 
in living it out, renewing our minds. The gentleman that told me he's waking up in the middle of the night, he says immediately with these fears, he just combats it with the truth, like almost in a mantra kind of a way, renewing his mind to the truth. It's our practice. And I love the way Paul puts this in Colossians 1. You guys, you got to get this one. For this, I toil. There's his work. There's his practice. I'm toiling. I'm toiling to not look at pornography. I'm toiling to not lose my temper. I'm toiling to take responsibility. I'm toiling to pray. I'm toiling to share the gospel. I'm toiling to get up early and serve in my church. I'm, I'm toiling, that's his practice, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Do you see it? <laughs> it's, it's this beautiful convergence of me saying, I'm going to work it out, but I'm going to work it out in dependence with the Lord And I'm not going to work it out in my own strength. I'm going to work it out with his strength and his empowerment. Do you see it, church? This is it. It's working it out, practicing it out. This is, listen, this is where the power of God shows up in our life. It's not when we just sit on the couch and just say, okay, God, you got to hit me. (laughs) You got to hit me with the Holy Spirit. No, it's when we get off the couch and we roll up our sleeves and in faith we get busy serving the Lord and obeying the Lord, knowing that the Holy Spirit of the Lord is going to empower us to fulfill the purposes of the Lord. So it's, we tap into his power through his presence and through our practice and then through these people, through these people. Listen, if you're not connected to the body of Christ, you're not going to experience the blessing of God that he wants for your life. You, you've got to take some steps to get the people connected to your burden, to your problems, so that they're praying with you. When God adopted us as a child of God, he adopted us into the family of God. And you just think about how silly it would be. Just think about how silly it would be if a family adopted a child and they filled out all the paperwork and that child was technically theirs but they left them at the orphanage. And they gave them a big hug before they left and they said, you're my son, but we're gonna leave you here. (laughs) That'd be so messed up, right? That's like, we don't have a concept, you know? It's like, and, and it's so messed up when you try to live the Christian life on your own, not connected to God's people. And listen, there's gonna be problems, there's gonna be difficulties, there's gonna be satanic attack, there's gonna be sin that you need to overcome that you cannot overcome, disconnected from God's people. Of people knowing what's going on in your life, loving you, encouraging you. By God's design, you cannot flourish disconnected from God's people. So what step do you need to take today to connect to God's people? Maybe, it, may, may, maybe, maybe your schedule's too crazy and busy to connect to a community group. Just Get here a little early and make your way back to the prayer station. And in three weeks, they'll know you on a personal basis and you'll know them. And they'll pray for you and they'll carry those burdens with you. So how do we tap into this power? Well, it's through his presence, daily spending time with God, and it's through our practice. And then it's through these people. That's where, that's where we experience the power of God. It's, it's, through, it's the Holy Spirit working through all of those avenues. So then the final question this morning is just simply this. How do... How do we know his power is going to be enough? How do, we, how do we know his power is going to be enough? 
Because it, like, as I declare that God's power is available to us this morning, some of us were in this battle of, well, I kind of believe it, but I don't know. I haven't been happy my whole life. I don't even know, I don't, I don't know that I can experience real joy. I'm fighting for it, but I, I, I don't know. I've been bitter my whole life. I don't know that I can overcome the bitterness in my heart. I've grown so familiar and so accustomed. It feels like it's like my bride. My bitterness is my bride. And, and there's a battle of I don't know. How do I know if his power is enough for me? Well, this is what Paul unpacks here in the rest of this chapter. And I just want you to see it briefly uh, with me. First, in verse 20, we see that Jesus was raised. Look at this with me, verse 19 and then 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We said this last week, but God took the most difficult thing to happen in the universe, making a dead man come back to life. And he set it on display so that his church, his sons and daughters throughout the ages would know there's nothing too difficult for my God. He raised Jesus from the dead. He can help me overcome my bitterness. So, so Jesus was raised from the dead. This is the first. And this, this resurrection of the dead, it, it was, it was, it's life-giving. It was the vindication of his Messiahship and his sonship. It's the reality that Jesus lives forever. This is what the resurrection of Jesus meant. Look at verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What does this mean, that he seated him at his right hand? Well, after Jesus had rose from the dead, Jesus ascended to heaven. So where did he ascend to? He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that the right hand symbolized favor, power, authority, and intimacy. So much so, listen, so much so that in the Old Testament, this theme was at play that today in our normal language, we refer to somebody as being your right-hand man. Somebody's right-hand man. What does it mean when, in, in, in our language when we use that phrase, they're my right-hand man? What does that mean? Well, that means they enjoy a special intimacy and they have an authority to represent whoever right-hand man that they are. And so when, so Jesus was raised and then he was exalted, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it was like the Father was saying, he's my right-hand man. We enjoy a special intimacy and he enjoys a special authority as my son. Authority over what? Well, let's read on. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Listen, our whole world is organized by power and authority, isn't it? That's, that's the way all of life is organized. If you, grow up, if you grow up in a home, your parents are your authority. If you're driving down the street, <laughs> the the stop sign is your authority. And then, and then our awesome police officers are authority to hold us accountable when we blow through the stop sign. 
And we have governing authorities that sometimes make terrible laws, and we pray that we would have good governing authorities, so they make good laws. All of the world is layered in authority. And and what Paul is saying is Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father, and above, far above, like nobody is a close second to the authority that Jesus has over what? Over everything. Over everything. Big governments, foreign countries, and as the Gospels tell us, a little bird falling to the ground. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from King Jesus. Paul is painting a picture of the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus so that his children would not fear whatever comes at them. The most unexpected tragedy. The children of God don't have to be afraid. Why? Because we have the spirit of Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the one that conquered death and was exalted to the right hand of God and who sits enthroned over every ruler and every power in this life and forever. Holy cow. (laughs) Come on, church. We don't understand that, do we? But man, it would do us good to just turn Netflix off and just stare at the pages of Scripture until we understand it a little better. The Lord Jesus wants you to flourish. He doesn't want you to flounder. But you cannot flourish apart from his power. And that's why he prayed that the church would know the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us who believe. (laughs) What do we have to do to tap into this power? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then work it out. Work it out. So he was raised and he was seated. 1 Peter 3, 21 through 22 says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers, having been subjected to him. This is who he is. And then, and then we, see that he's, we see squashed. Look at verse 22. Verse, verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but Also in the age to come, verse 22, do you see it? And he put all things under his feet. You know, when when God put Adam in the garden, he told him to take dominion over it. It was all under his feet. He was to have dominion over it. But Adam failed, didn't he? Well, Christ came as the better Adam and fulfilled what Adam could not fulfill. Christ fulfilled it for us. And now... God's put everything under his feet. You know what I said to Susan one day this week? (laughs) I said, I just want to go home and put my feet up. Because my work, the day was done. I had taken dominion, and I just wanted to put my feet up. Where does that come from? What comes from verse 22? And he put all things under his feet feet. It, it, it not only is a sign of supremacy, but it's a sign of done. I can sit back and put my feet up. We're frantic, but guess what? Jesus has his feet up. He's not frantic. He's sitting back, and his power 
his putting his feet up power is available to us. Psalm 8, 6 talks about God giving Adam dominion and he said, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Now it's all under Jesus' feet, this dominion. Hebrews 10, 12 through 13 says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. And listen, church, listen. Every day that we scatter out of this place to be light, announcing the good news of the gospel and making disciples in the world that we live in, we're taking kingdom ground and more and more is put under Jesus' feet. It's beautiful, isn't it? Lastly, we see um, how do we know his power is enough? We just see the word head, and I want you to see this in verses 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, he gave Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I want you to track with me. I know it's been a long sermon this morning, but you guys are smart people. You're smart people. Go home and watch an hour and a half long. You're going to binge Netflix. Somebody's going to binge Netflix tonight. It's going to be like three hours worth, right? Preacher's like at minute 41, 42 right now. So lean in, lean in. We got something good right here. Closing it out. You ready? You ready for this? Dessert. It's dessert. Who wants to skip dessert? Come on. Look at this. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Now, some of us are like, Jesus rules nations. Wow. Jesus is head of the church? (laughs) That's not that impressive. (laughs) We're just a bunch of rascals. And Jesus is head over us. That's not that big of a deal, right? No, it's, it's glorious. Listen, God's redemptive work, redeeming humanity, is so wondrous that the Bible says that angels long to watch it unfold. They long to look into it. Can you just imagine that right now in this moment, peering over the brink of heaven, the angelic realm are just watching to see who's the father gonna save this morning? Who's the father gonna sanctify this morning? They just watch and wonder as God molds us as he loves us, as he redeems us. He said he gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church. So now Jesus is the head of the church. He's head over everything. It would make sense that he's also head of the church, right? But the church is special. In verse 23, it says, which is his body. The fullness of him. Wait a second. The fullness of who? The fullness of Jesus. We're the fullness of Jesus? That that almost sounds heretical, that we would be the fullness of Jesus. That there would be something lacking in Jesus that we fill up. Sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Like Jesus is complete. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the Son of God. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. How How does he need us? Well, he doesn't need us, but he designed it in such a way that we are his body. He's the head of the church, and we're the body. That translation, there's no such thing as a body without a head. I know it's Halloween, and you might see some, but there's no such thing, right? There's no such thing as a, as a body without a head. And we're the body of Christ and Jesus is the head. And so he's saying, listen, <laughs> what Paul is saying is Jesus loves his church so much 
that I'm going to give you an image that you cannot even imagine a body without a head. You want to know how committed Jesus is to you? You want to know how committed Jesus is to real life? You have to chop the head off. <laughs> it's like wherever we go, he goes. We, we are so unified with Jesus. He's the head of the church and, and we're his body. That's like radical identification. That's like radical intimacy. That's like mind-blowingly, we fill him up. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What that means, church, listen to this. What that means is more, more grand than the stars in the sky and more grand than the Grand Canyon. Our Father is setting his glory on display through his church. <laughs> We're the best thing he's got. We're his favorite. We're the pinnacle of his creation. He likes you. He loves you. He wants you. He has binded himself to his people never to be cut off. He's the head and we're the body. Hallelujah. Just let that sink in. Let that sink in. Some of you are like, man, what do I do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? Some of you just need to think about that. Think about that. Right on. So let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, for those of us that are apathetic this morning, would you just awaken us? Lord, for those of us that are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, would you break us? Those of us that are discouraged, would you encourage us? Those of us that are weak, would you empower us? Father, we are your people. We just pray, have your way with us. Have your way with us. It's all for the glory of your name. And all God's people said... Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing out, church. Let's worship him. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real. Keep it Jesus.